Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of L2M Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with Nancy Duarte, who's a communication expert who's been featured in Fortune, Time, Forbes, Fast Company, Wired, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, and on CNN and and a lot of other places. She's the author of a number of books, but their new book is Data Story, Explain Data and Inspire Action Through Story. Her firm is the global leader behind some of the most influential visual messages in business and culture. As a persuasion expert, she's cracked the code for effectively incorporating story patterns into business communications. She's written five best-selling books, four of which have won awards, and she was also responsible for helping to get out the uh, uh, an inconvenient truth. So, um, Nancy, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited okay. to have a conversation with you. Yeah, this is fun. So tell me, first of all, Let's talk about how you define story, because we hear a lot about people talking about story these days. So what exactly are you meaning when you say story? Oh, I love that you asked that. So what I don't mean is fiction, like turning your data into fiction or fairy tales or fantasy. It's really about using these constructs that story has inherent in them and using the structure of story to be able to shape what you're going to communicate around data so that it, it resonates and there's a lot of brain science now around story about how the brain lights up when a story is being told. So if, if the construct of a story is so powerful, it makes the brain light up in a unique way that no other communication medium does, it makes sense to use that construct to communicate very important findings that you may have in the data. So that makes sense when we we're kind of telling a narrative. But a lot of times we've got numbers and we've got facts and we've got all these things we want to get across, how do we take that kind of dry and boring data and turn it into an inspirational narrative that's going to make people do something? Yeah. (laughs) Well, part of it is applying kind of the three-act structure. When you find an opportunity or a problem that needs to be solved in the data, how you start to communicate what needs to happen because of it is a very important step. And one of the things um, that I discovered when I analyzed these great data slides and people who'd communicated data was one of the most important things you need to do is be careful with your word choices and the narrative that you choose. Because to your point, you were just asking, what, what do you do need when you need to communicate the action from the data? And the most important thing is to pick the right verb. Pick a verb, what is, which is action, obviously. Pick a, a powerful verb um, that will match what it is that the ask is that your particular audience needs to do in response to the problem do, opportunity. Do you find that people often don't ask for what they really want? You know, they think yeah. that you're going to get it, and they don't actually ask for what they want you to do? I think there's a real career-defining moment for people that are in data analytics, and that's there's people who just want to process the data and flip flip it to someone else because, oh, it's outside my pay grade to create a point of view. You know, right. it's a scary thing when you create a point of view about the data because you're saying, whoa, I feel like the data is telling us we need to do this. And part of the difference between going from an individual contributor working in the data to a trusted advisor around the data is that you're choosing the right action to take because of it and you're communicating it really clearly. So that's a real career-defining moment is how you wrap the data and what everyone needs to do, how you wrap that in narrative. 
So it's really, yeah, become, becoming just the, the, as opposed to becoming the person who passes along something you found, it's adding value and really saying, and here's the, here's what we've learned from this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, with all the talk we have today about, you know, fake news and, and you know, Russian trolls and all this, how do we know when, um, you know, when we're, we're communicating data, what's the way that we can kind of be seen as being more authentic and trying to get out of being maybe perhaps kind of um, stuck in those, in those um, stereotypes or stuck in those areas where people are saying, I don't know if I trust anything. Any ideas on that? Well, I think what happens right now is everybody can go to their own data set and disprove the other. I mean, there's so yep. much data that when one politician says, oh, this is the truth, you couldn't find a data set that almost disproves everything. So I right. don't want anybody to think it's okay to become sensationalized around the data or approach it with bias. Like, that is not what this is about. This is a lot about data is making our world go around right now, and how do you how do you create, you know, figure out what the findings are and create action from it. And it's in a real sad state because I think that a lot of um, data and data sets and everything, it can be so easily manipulated. And I have to write all my books from a place of, well, I hope only the good people get a hold of this insight. <laughs> you know, even when I wrote Resonate, I was so moved. I remember I, I found the pattern. It was a Saturday, and I just told my husband, I said, I feel like if I just put the whole day in on a Saturday, I would be able to find the pattern that the greatest speeches share. And then the first thing I did once I found the pattern is I took out a couple of speeches from Goebbels, Hitler's speechwriter. And I thought, well, if it worked for that, that means it could be used for good or it could be used for evil. And it was very, I got very emotional because it followed the pattern almost perfectly. And so you can't control, you know, that there will yep. be people who do things wrong with data. But hopefully the bulk of 99.999% of everybody will use it for good and not, you know, not use it to manipulate. That's all we can ever hope for. You know? That's right. And if we understand what's going on, then perhaps we can point out where we see things that are effective uses of, of uh, manipulation, such as Hitler, et cetera. And, and be aware of it. So tell me, um, executives, a lot of times we find that people have a lot of data, a lot of input, a lot of really important things they want to communicate, and executives don't have a very long attention span. So what's the best way to communicate data to an executive who really isn't going to pay a lot of attention to details? Yeah, and that's part of uh, shaping it into a, you know, 10 or 20 second uh, data story that has a three-act structure is a great start. Um, some executives like to read, so we propose that you put your very crisp data story as the title of what your whole document's about, and everything in that document would support the recommendation that you're making. But executives move quickly, so you have to be brief. Anything you give them needs to be skimmable and also um, communicate to them in a way that they like to receive information. Some would rather sit with a meeting. Some actually like the stuff to be projected. Some like a read-ahead. You really need to know, and you need to be brief. You need to be quick. And one of the things a lot of people forget is that you can have the narrative really tight in two or three slides in the front, but you can give a 100, 200, 400-page appendix. It doesn't really matter. You could call it an appendix. If they're curious, they could keep going. But they understand that your narrative was really tight, really crisp in the front over a handful of little slides, dense slides. We call them slide docs. Because right. they're distributable, they don't need a, they don't need the help of a presenter. You know, you could actually read it and get everything the presenter would have said in in two to three really crisp slides. 
and then the appendix can be gargantuan. And that could, you right. know, if you want to look smart, put it all there in an appendix. Put it all there. They want to hop around. They want to hop around, and they care enough to keep going. They care enough, but otherwise you gave them everything they needed really crisply um, right in the front. It's skimmable, and then uh, the appendix makes it believable. Great. So I want to stop a second because you mentioned a couple times here the three-act structure, and I wonder if you could explain that a little bit. Not, I'm thinking everyone listening may not understand what you mean by that. Yeah, so storytelling has a three-act structure all the way back to um, Aristotle. And um, there's three acts in a data story also. This is the, the finite recommendation that you're making that you found in the data. So it's the opportunity or problem you found in the data that needs an action to happen. Um, so it's a three-act structure, which is a classic Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. Act 1 is usually a situation. Act 2 is a complication. And Act 3 is a resolution, how the story resolved. So in data, what you would do is the beginning would be that you say there is a problem or an opportunity in the data. That's the situation. The middle is what is always the messy part of the story. This is the messy middle. This is the piece of data that you want to change. So the middle is some statistic that you want to change. You want to make it go up. You want to make it go down. And then the third act is the action you're going to have people take so that that number, the messy middle, goes up or goes down. So you're ultimately trying to change the trajectory of data in some way by having all these people take this action. So it's a three-act structure. It could be as short as, you know, <laughs> three sentences. It could be as long as three paragraphs. Uh, it could be the executive summary in that sense, just a sh super short, tight thing. And they should pretty much get what you're doing and why you're doing it and the action you want them to take in this very crisp format. And then everything else you give to them is in support of what, why, and how um, you want them to complete this um, data point of view that you have. So really, the, the three-act structure, what is the situation, the why is kind of complication, and so the resolution is the how? Is that the way that works, or not necessarily? Uh, it, it, it is in a way. Like the resolution yeah. is the how in the sense of if if I can get all these people to do this verb, we are going to change our number right. dramatically. Yeah. So I guess you could say it that way. Yeah. So the what, why, and how is um, each slide that you make in your in your slide doc that supports this data story should also each have its own what, why, and how. Um, a lot of people forget, and especially people that go deep in data all the time, they, they we're really good at what and how, what, how, what, how, what, how. But where the meaning is is in why, like why uh, yeah. are we doing this. And so it's this weird thing where we get in this modality, but here's what I need you to do, and here's how I need you to do it. And it's more commanding or more like giving advice, whereas when people understand why they're doing it, it adds meaning and purpose, and then they'll be like, oh, that's right, I'm doing it because this is why I'm doing it. And so that's why every slide should have what, why, and, and how. Great. And it's important. I think we forget that very often um, is we think people we, – we over-assume what people know. And we, yeah. you know, we don't want to dumb it down, but we also want to make sure that we're clear because not everybody reading or, or seeing a presentation is going to know what you know, and they're going quickly, so they need to have it in front of them. Yeah. yeah. So you talk about a data point of view. What is a data point of view, and, and how do we kind of put it? I mean, because we said, again, we want to talk about how we want to change the data, but what's the data point of view? Yeah, so when you're looking at data, you are forming, you're synthesizing. You might have one chart, you might have 50 charts, and you look at all of them, and then you form a point of view, and your point of view is that action, like, wow, I found this opportunity, so therefore, therefore we need to 
blah. And therefore, we need to, what is the action that you need to take because of your findings? That is your point of view. So it's usually structured quite a bit like a big idea where it's what is my point of view that the data is telling me we should do and what's at stake if we do or do not do them. So it's it's kind of a little formula. Your data point of view is what do we need to do? What's at stake if we do or do not do it? And so it's, 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 it's a nice structure. It's, it's, uh, they're like equations that they're like almost communication equations that we're right. using to help help you tee it up so other people can um, absorb and comprehend what you're trying to communicate. And I think this is important because I think sometimes we we get too immersed in our own data, and we say, you know, this is obvious. You <laughs> know, people should know this, or we want to tell you the nth degree of of data. You know, we've seen this going down this and this and this. But what you're saying here is, I think, um, tell us, uh, tell us what we need to do, tell us what's at stake, and give us the big picture. And then again, you have that appendix later on that can go into deep detail. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you said that you know about um, it's a big lift when you know how to understand and explain your data findings. And I, I think you're absolutely right. We go from being just the person who collects data to the person who has, uh, you know, added value. Um, do you find that there's a kind of a difficult transition to get people to go from just presenting what they have to actually putting their own um, spin on it and they're, they're adding their own intelligence to it? Is, is that kind of a place where people get stuck? Yeah, and, and absolutely, and it is a career-defining moment when you, when you form an opinion because what's happening right now is artificial intelligence is getting to a place where it can determine what chart to plot, it can determine what the insights are, and it can make observations of the data. Like even Tableau, even Tableau has artificial intelligence in it, and it'll say, Jimmy Bob, sales quarter over quarter are down. That's an observation. Mm. <laughs> like it might not have plotted it. It will highlight the bar it thinks you need right. to look at, and it will make an observation about your data. What Tableau will not be able to do and cannot be replaced with a human is the advice. Like, it will never say, therefore, you need to go tell Jimmy Bob, blah, 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 or you need to change Jimmy Bob's comp plan, or therefore, right. you need to, let's, what's the action that happens? So uh, that part will never be able to be replaced by a machine because that takes part intuition. It takes uh, um, insights that really only a human can have. And so there is going to be, uh, you know, <laughs> it, I really, you know, implore people to become communicators of data and not just the ones who, you know, hit the hit the um, data sets and visualize it. You know, there is a bigger role to play in than collecting the data and visualizing it, and that is coming up with solutions in response to the data. I think that's absolutely true. And, and again, I mean, it's to, the, it's to the point now where you get on a website and you're not sure whether you're talking to a live person or a bot. But when you ask a question that requires an insight, very quickly you understand, okay, is there a human behind this or not? Uh, and so it's important that we, we keep adding that value and appreciate what the systems and AI and, and bots and whatever can do for us, but then add the value that says, hey, and here's what here's why you need me, because I can help you do that. So that's important. So tell me that you've worked with a lot of different brands, and you've probably studied this in terms of, of looking at things that brands do that are good and, and that aren't good. What can you tell us about the ways that award-winning brands, brands that we really appreciate, communicate data, and, and how can we learn from what they, they've shown us? Yeah, I love that. You know, I, we, I have the privilege. I've had a, a 
firm here in the Valley for 31 years, and we've had the privilege of working with the highest performing brands in the world. Um, and what I did is I actually went and scooped up uh, nine brands, all the highest performing ones, and I went through thousands of decks, and I found thousands of slides that just had data on them. And that's where the genesis of this book came from. So what I did is I looked at, well, wow, what were they trying to communicate? What chart did they choose and why? And what words did they put in associate to that, in association of that data and why? That's where all the findings came out around the verbs, because there was a pattern to the verbs. There was a pattern to which chart they chose. And then my team, it's just so beautiful. They don't just plot the chart. They'll actually do a layer of math on top of it graphically. Ah. Like, let's say the most important thing on a bar chart is the distance between two bars. Well, yep. they may have to do some math, like, well, the difference between these two bars, and then they annotate it, they do a call out, and they do the big difference in a big number. Well, those kinds of things, the computers at this point don't do that annotation. So there was an annotation taxonomy that came from that. There was, um, like, I found that the highest performing brands in the world, when they're communicating to a broad audience, they only use three charts. They don't use these fancy business intelligence tools. They use bar pie and line and that was it there was no oh, other kinds of charts outside yeah thousands of slides there was no chart outside of those so that was fascinating to me so i think it's like wow we know those as shorthand and everyone visually knows how to process those and so that was fascinating um, and then the parts of speech what's the noun what was the verb what were the adjectives and adverbs they used to describe what was going on that part is fascinating it's a big part of the book also I think that's fast because I think sometimes we try to overcomplicate things. Say, okay, well, you know, bar pies and line charts, you know, they've been here forever. Let's do something, you know, what's 3D and graphic and different and whatever. Uh, and really what you want to do is simplify and get your message across and not have the methodology complicate things so that you're saying, okay, I, I see all these pretty lines and there's a drawing here. What are they trying to say? And so what you're saying, I think, is that um, with these brands that are really high performing, they just cut to the chase. And that's how they're communicating effectively. And that's how, yeah, and it's clearer and everyone understands it. When you put these real complicated graphics up there, people have to sit there for a few minutes and be like, what is this trying to say? What is going on exactly? <laughs> and, and is it just yeah. me? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So you've taught, you've worked with a lot of different industries, consumer, hardware, software, social media, search, biotech, mm -hmm. finance, et cetera. Do you find that these, um, there are differences in the industries or do these kind of general guidelines apply across industry it doesn't matter which kind of company you're working with yeah across across industries it applies when you're doing broad communication so let's say you're a pharma company or let's say you're a biotech company or solving cancer right mm -hmm. if you're speaking to a bunch of other doctors and scientists on the on the road to solving cancer your charts are going to be more complicated when you're talking to other scientists right so right. what is shorthand to two cancer scientists is not shorthand to you and you and me and right. so it it is in the service of the broader audiences they do communicate the same but each industry if it's engineering or if it's routers like at Cisco they have their own internal common language that they use among their peers in industry and those can have logarithmic scales and a little more complicated things but in that industry it is considered visual shorthand so it's really in service of what is the visual shorthand that's broad to everyone that's by part by and that's bar, pie, and line, but in your industry, you may also have a handful or a few other types of charts that are also visual shorthand that everyone understands with little or no explanation. So it's not all universal across the board, but pretty much when it's to a broad audience, it's very universal. Wow. 
I think that's great to know because so often I you know when I work with clients, they say, oh, we're unique. <laughs> we're different. We have to show this differently because everybody else does it that way and that's wrong. Um, but really, I think a lot of what you're talking about is, is the way the human brain is processing that, and, and we process that in similar ways. And so it makes yeah. sense to cut right to the chase and not spend a lot of time making your audience try to figure out what it is you're doing under those complex slides. So we're here, we're talking with Nancy Duarte. Nancy is the author of the new book, Data Story, Explain Data and Inspire Action Through Story. Um, Nancy, if people wanted to find out more about your book, where would they go? Oh, thank you. So the book is for sale at retailers and online. Um, we have a page kind of dedicated to the book on our website, Duarte.com. Uh, we tweet about it all day long. That's at Nancy Duarte and at Duarte. And we're pretty active on LinkedIn, too, so you can find a lot of information there. Great, fantastic. So, and, and, and we could talk about this for hours because I find this so fascinating. And, and having done market research, I know what it's like to have a lot of data to have to present to people. But <laughs> if we could just uh, kind of finish up by saying if there's one thing that you would recommend if we were just starting to try to figure out how to get a better handle on this, what's the number one thing we should start doing? Is it to, um, you know, to, to look for an, an insight or, or to try and come up with a three-act story? Where do we begin here? I think every bit of communication probably really has to start with empathy, like really understand who you're communicating with, how they process and absorb information. So if you're communicating up to an exec you don't know, talk to other people who've had success communicating with and say, how do they communicate? I have one client who is like, don't, don't even communicate with me in anything but a table with black or red type in it. I mean, they just are picky. <laughs> Some are very picky. Um, others yeah. like it to be unpacked. Some like it in their inbox the night before, and they want a conversation. And you know, and and one of the things that's in the book that I loved is there's this whole section on communicating up, how busy they are, and and, and ways to use performance and process verbs in a specific way to appeal to the executive's audience for your recommendation. So there's yep. a lot of tools in there. So it's all starts with empathy and really understanding who it is. So it's not only communicating up, like who who needs to prove it, but just think about it, the minute that you have to communicate it broadly at an all-hands meeting. Next thing you know, you're, you're on the stage of your industry event, and those are all, um, you have to do a walk, of an empathy walk, we call it, thinking about who your audience is and how they need to process the information. And I think that's a great place to start just in general. Is yeah. both having empathy and knowing um, knowing who you're talking to and what they're looking for. So thank you, Nancy. This has been fascinating. I really enjoy this, and it's wonderful to have you on here. Thank you. It was a blast. Great. Until next time, this is Linda Popke, and thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by L2M Associates. If you'd like to find out how you can improve the return on your investment in marketing programs, processes, or people, contact us at www.l2massociates.com.